you know, we've had, uh, I'll just use uh, the the Usher meme last summer, you know, Usher did a Tiny Desk concert for us in the summer of 2022 and did a little funny move when he was performing that then went on to become a meme that went all over the world. Um, we kind of have a similar situation right now with uh, uh, another clip from a Tiny Desk concert that appears to be going viral on social media. And so there's a certain amount of you have to let the reins of the community, you know, sort of do yeah, yeah. their thing in terms of sharing elements of our of our content. Um, but again, I think that can be a double edged sword. And there are some good elements or good aspects to it when a, a community or an audience is that inclined to share your message and share your content. <laughs> Hi, welcome to another episode of Hard to Market. I'm your host, Brian Maddox. With me today is Lamar Johnson. Welcome, Lamar. Hey, good to be with you, Brian. Lamar, I don't want to steal any thunder here, and I want to make sure you tell the right story. So I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself for the audience so then we can get into some of the nitty gritty about marketing. Yep, sounds good. So I'll just start by saying I've been in the marketing space and specifically in the hard to market space for over two decades now. Uh, marketing everything from beverage alcohol to CDs. I was marketing CDs at the very start of the Napster era of the late 1990s, if you can nice. imagine that. Um, and even things like sugary carbonated soft drinks have been part of my my career narrative. So just a couple of examples of, of being in the hard to market space. Um, and uh, so I've also been a fan of public media. Uh, for a number of years since since I was a kid. And somehow I found myself found myself in 2020 with an opportunity to become head of sponsorship marketing for national public media. So that's what I do. And national public media is the sponsorship subsidiary of NPR and is tasked with attracting sponsors across all of NPR's platforms from podcasting to radio to digital. And so that's essentially what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. But it is fraught with great opportunity and, and a lot of amazing properties and programs. But there are some challenges that that make NPR a brand that can be hard to market in some instances. So you you mentioned the word sponsorships. And I know given the relationship for where you guys are in the world, right? We, we would call that advertising in any other location, but for NPR, NPM, it's sponsorships, right? What does that Absolutely. do in terms of the conversation? How does that, how does the fact that it's a sponsorship inform the conversation versus folks that are used to buying advertising? You know, it really is a, a just really a matter of nomenclature. You know, essentially, our sponsors are our advertisers. It's just the words that we use. Um, being in the public media space, we we uh, are somewhat conservative in terms of how we describe things and what our guardrails and guidelines are. But it's just a a, a nomenclature thing, essentially. Uh, we uh, shy away from the use of words like partners and partnership and really focus on right. sponsors in terms of how we describe the, the folks that we appeal to and market to. But that informs, I mean, the fact that it's a sponsorship deeply informs the editorial on the, you know, the sponsorship kind of spots that people want to run themselves, right? So, 
you know, you don't just take anybody off the street with their favorite commercial. You guys do a fair amount of legwork there, which um, I, I definitely sounds like a, something you have to work with people on because they're not going to come to the table with something that's editorially what you want to run with. No, you're absolutely right. Well, what, what I will say is that as part of that notion of, of these guardrails and guidelines, there are, you know, some categories that we won't even touch. Political advertising, for example, and advocacy is something that that we uh, shy away from. But in terms of sponsors coming to the table, you know, we don't just accept the the creative from a a potential right. sponsor. You, you'll never hear on NPR, um, you know, a, a spot that ran on one of the hip hop stations in in your local yeah, town. Yeah. You know, NPR is very specific about what's acceptable and any sponsor message that's featured on NPR is recorded in the unique voice style and tone of NPR. So again, we don't just accept anything, you know, sponsor messages yeah, have yeah. To go through the NPR process, if you will. Um, and so that's how we sort of maintain that consistency and really maintain that voice that audiences have, have come to expect from NPR yeah. and respect from NPR. So you have, uh, you know, NPR itself has a ton of brand credibility, and I think that that makes part of the conversation probably fairly easy to have. You guys have some pretty, pretty great properties there, but when it comes to the hard conversations, like, um, like we can't take your creative, or <laughs> like, you know, we think that this is the this is the editorial stone, you know, style that we want to speak to. You, you do, you've got like a. A, a really peculiar, you're going to spend a lot of time doing lead gen and acquisition and then goaltending on the other side of it, which is Absolutely. just sounds kind of crazy. How do you manage that balance? You know, I think sponsors that come to NPR, I would say the vast majority of them know what they're signing up for. Um, NPR is, our research has, has, has shown that NPR is the most trusted name in audio news. And so that trust factor goes a long way in terms of mm. what sponsors have come to expect from NPR. But we really do try to balance those masters of, as you said, generating leads. That's what we're here for, ultimately to fuel and empower the engines of NPR's journalism and programming. But again, we have to really balance that with the desire to be protective, if you will, of the brand and sort of maintain a uh, separation of church and state between sponsorship and editorial that, you know, we don't cross mm -hmm. those, those those lines. And so it really is just a fine and delicate balancing act of, you know, really, as you said, goal tending on, on the on the backside of things, if you will. Um, and, and, you know, it, some might consider that to be a challenge, but we're up for the challenge and are used to it. And, you know, over the 50 plus years that NPR has been in existence. Right. Uh, you know, it's something again that that the sponsorship community is very familiar with and and uh, doesn't present that big of a challenge because we're used to it. So um you and I were chatting before the show, as is the custom in these things. And you mentioned that you've got like a line around the corner for some of your properties. And then you have other properties where you have to kind of explain to folks like you should really sponsor this. It's better for your target demo. How do you direct traffic from the bigger name brands into some of the, the brands that are either up and coming or have a niche target audience? Uh, what does that look like in terms of that conversation from a strategic perspective? 
you know, from a strategic perspective, I would say, you know, a lot of that is really dictated by the sponsor in terms of what their target audience is, what their consumer insights are, who they're looking to go after. So our programming and our recommendations from a from a planning perspective really revolve around what the clients or the sponsors' objectives are from a targeting and audience perspective. The voice of the consumer really has to be at the foundation of everything that both a sponsor wants to do and everything that we want to deliver for a sponsor. And so I would say that's the first consideration. And then the size of audience, the size of a particular show, the qualitative nature of it, what's the content of the show is it more news based in terms of what a sponsor is 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 interested in aligning with or is it more culture and conversation and community based so we have offerings across the whole gamut of from a qualitative perspective and really uh, rely on what the sponsors priorities are in terms of developing media plans and event activation plans and things of that nature that fit those sponsors objectives mm. So and and you know we we talked the other day when we were chatting about how NPR has got a long and uh, deep and um, rich history with podcasting as a concept. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, listeners may not have an understanding of of the history in this space. Yeah, well, what I'll what I'd say to that is you know NPR has, as you said, a very long history and really was at the forefront of podcasting a number of years ago. Uh, the podcasting space, as you're well aware, is at this moment oversaturated with every type of offering you can imagine. Um, but NPR was really responsible uh, for putting a flag in the ground years ago to say, hey, podcasting is the way of the, the way of the future for many listeners and presents just a whole new way of consuming audio at your on your own on demand on your own schedule versus radio which was obviously at the foundation of of audio for a number of years as i've said you know npr has been in existence for 52 years now and so podcasting has just been part of that evolution and and i'm proud to say that again npr was at the forefront of really establishing the podcast category and really benefiting from again putting that stake in the ground early. Um, we've had a number of of our programs featured as you know within the top 20 on the pod track rankings for a number of years now. And we're really proud of the fact that that we you know have such a such a quantity of programming that's reflected in in, in some of these rankings like pod track over the years. So given your role in marketing, you know, and, and the history with podcasting, it seems to me like you guys have kind of always have to have your finger on the pulse of what's next so that you can get in front of, you know, putting NPR's brand in these new media spaces as they arise. What's next on your marketing sort of program for NPM and, and where it's going? Well, for NPM specifically, you know, it, it's all about innovation for us. Um, you know, part of what we like to offer to the sponsorship community is new ways of thinking about how to reach audiences. So, for example, we've used influencers. You know, people might not expect that influencers would be part of a marketing mix for NPR or NPM, but that's one of the things that we have have put forth in terms of keeping up with the times. You know, you can make whatever judgment you want about something like using influencers. 
but it's the way of the future. They do carry influence. They are able to message. And so we have found some success in utilizing these sort of newer approaches to getting the marketing message out. You know, it's funny. Everybody uh, throws shade at influencers, but nobody was throwing shade at movie stars back in the 80s, right? I don't really understand the difference. It just so happens that these guys started on YouTube as opposed to in the theater. Maybe exactly. And, and I think the word influencers is loaded in a lot of people's minds. You know, maybe they feel like there's some nefarious intent there. But influencing has been going on for a long time, as you said. And, and just again, sort of in the spirit of of uh, of acknowledging nomenclature, I prefer to use the, the phrase broadcast towers. It doesn't really carry the same baggage as influencers. People get all stuck on the word influencers. But anyway, I use broadcast towers, but the point still carries in terms of these people have audiences, they're able to influence, they're evangelistic and carry the power of word of mouth. And so, you know, we have done, again, some some work with them and really found success um, in terms of influencers being able to amplify a message, get a message to a new audience. That's part of our our you know overarching objective for national public media and ultimately for NPR, and that is to continue to attract younger and more diverse audiences to to NPR's programming. I find that uh, that's interesting. How are you balancing the editorial standards of NPR, which are you know obviously robust? We talked about that a little bit already. Um, with some of these ultra short media formats where, you know, you don't get the chance to dive in, you don't get a chance to tell a full story, you get 30 seconds here, you know, you get the TikToks kind of, you know, streams, you get the the reels. How are you balancing all of that and still essentially offering that uh, for sponsorship opportunities as well? I mean, what does that look like? You know, the, the short form piece of it, I think, is is one of the things that that, that we're continuing to figure out for lack of a better word you know there are conversations around here regarding TikTok, and we try to keep that finger on the pulse you know i i just saw something the other day about the fact that clubhouse do you remember clubhouse about a year uh -huh. or so came and went <laughs> like the, in the twinkle of an eye yeah but just like threads. You know, for a moment we were considering and looking at the clubhouse and, and i use clubhouse as just an example of be keeping an open mind to exploring what's next is key to success in this game. And so as I said, TikTok is on our our list for figuring out how to crack that how to crack that nut. Um obviously other social media channels are part of our of are part of our mix and there is some short form um content that we've featured on some of our other social media platforms. But it really is a balancing act and and we are continuing to learn as 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 we go in terms of how to tell stories in that super short form format that younger and more diverse audiences are accustomed to. Yeah, it's, you know, it seems to be a very interesting dynamic as well in that now with NPR's content being distributed across platforms where you have decreasing amounts of control, having sponsorships gets a little bit more challenging too, right? YouTube, for example, is not a place where you can control what those sponsorships look like. So I imagine you're keeping your footprints limited in those spaces. Is that right? That is right in that specific instance, but there are other channels where we have a little bit more leeway and control. But absolutely, you know, there are some that can be challenging in terms of sponsor messaging and mm. some that are a little more open. So, yep, you're absolutely right. So, so with that, you know, you guys are essentially from a content perspective, you have to play again the goal goaltender again 
guarding your content from redistribution, you know, that just dilutes your sponsorship value prop. If exactly. other folks are essentially taking your stuff and throwing it on different media distribution platforms, exactly. what's the, how, how, from a marketing perspective, how is that influencing your strategy with the content creation that you're doing in terms of, you know, are you, are you doing anything specific to prevent that? Are you using the DMCA to pull back so you can make sure that you can retain control? What does that look like? I mean, without causing like Streisand effect stuff. <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of that is really dictated and managed on the NPR side yeah, uh, yeah. from an editorial and content perspective. And so I would defer to them in terms of, you know, what those processes are, to be honest with you. I'm not that close to it from a technical technical perspective, um, but it's something that we're mindful of and it's something obviously to be considered. But, you know, we are we do recognize the fact that NPR content is very relevant and people have that aspiration of sharing our stuff. There's, you know, again, I hate to keep using this this notion of a balancing act, but mm. there is an aspect of virality or the viral nature of things where people exactly. take something and just post it and, and run with it. And there's only so much control that you can have in some of those instances. Um, but that can also potentially be a good thing. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Less, less focused on the advertising aspect of it and more on the culture and conversation. Um, you know, we've had, uh, I'll just use, uh, the, the Usher meme last summer, you know, Usher did a tiny desk concert for us in the summer of 2022 and did a little funny move when he was performing that then went on to become a meme that went all over the world. Um, we kind of have a similar situation right now with, uh, uh, another clip from a tiny desk concert that appears to be going viral on social media. And so there's a certain amount of, you have to let the reins of the community, you know, sort of yeah, do yeah. their thing in terms of sharing elements of our, of our content. Um, but again, I think that can be a double-edged sword and there are some good elements or good aspects to it when a, a community or an audience is that inclined to share your message and share your content on their yeah, own? Yeah, it's, it's going to move you from uh, sponsorships to product placement at that point because you really won't have any other choice. <laughs> I'm going to use an even I'm going to use an even deeper word. So, moving from sponsorship to product placement, but I like to use the word cultural participation. Uh, <laughs> That's where the power lies. If a brand or a media company or a content producer or publisher can participate in culture, you've hit the jackpot. And that's one of the things that I'm so proud of in terms of working at NPM on behalf of NPR is that our work, both on both sides, helps brands participate in culture, a marketer's dream. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. So that's uh, fully engaged content. That's a we had somebody on the show not long ago about that spoke to experiential marketing and creating these experiences. And I think you're starting to see that creep more and more into the dynamic for marketers. And I think what you're talking about is is right there, right there with it. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Lamar, as we start to to wrap here, I want to ask a couple key questions. One. Sure. Um, I, I mean, obviously, the, the the brand speaks for itself. It's you've done a ton of legwork, but I, you know, you've also got this this really really powerful history. Um, but who should reach out to you, and how should they get a hold of you if they want to speak to to you specifically at NPM or at, in NPM family at large to talk about sponsorship? 
Yep. I would say, you know, in terms of reaching out to me directly, they can reach out to me a number of ways. I'll give you my email address. It's L Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, and the number one. So L Johnson one at NPR.org. I would say that's the best way to reach out. And I can help triage uh, and put folks in, in touch with the with the right uh, sponsorship sales folks on our side Great. or spot uh, sales folks and, and what have you. I'd also encourage folks to uh, visit our website, national me- uh, nationalpublicmedia.com, uh, and just browse and check out what we have to offer. There's a pretty robust uh, website and, and, and you know, it's targeted to the sponsorship community, obviously, and, and hopefully can answer any questions that that folks may have. And then the first part of your question in terms of who are, who, you know, who should be reaching out to us, really anyone who's looking to engage with our highly, what I call our highly coveted audience. We have a highly educated, affluent, very influential, evangelistic even audience that, again, are a marketer's dream. And so anyone who is looking to engage with a, uh, an audience like that, um, I would say, you know, a diverse audience that is increasingly uh, more and more diverse as each day passes, you know, there's that opportunity for brands that are looking to engage with with those types of audiences. And so I'd encourage folks who are looking to find those opportunities, looking for a trusted media partner that's brand safe, that presents messages in an uncluttered environment. I could go on for hours, but if that's what a sponsor is looking for, NPM and NPR is the place to to come. Awesome. And in your through your hard to market past and all of the places you've been, what are the three biggest uh, kind of takeaways you've had in your journey so far uh, that have made you the success that you are? Oh wow! Um, I would say the three things I've learned so far that are most important. I would say the ability to again identify insights that lead to cultural participation opportunities. That's where I've had the most success in terms of my career. Finding that little nugget of something that is maybe very, very unique or even just below the surface from a from a consumer insights perspective, and then amplifying that into a, uh, an offering or a program that allows a brand to participate in culture. That's the first thing I would say is, is, is you know, the the at the foundation of 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 what I've learned over the years. Um, the other thing I would say is just possessing the ability to be nimble and agile, um, the ability to turn on a dime. So, you know, whether that has to do with, you know, identifying someone as an influencer and God forbid if something goes wrong, the ability to pivot and have somebody in your back pocket. I'll just use that as an yeah, example. Yeah. Um, or you know, in the instance of, I'm going to use the the uh, the example of NPR, the NPR news cycle. You know, there are you know when, when you're involved in news media, you have to be able to sort of pivot and be agile and nimble, so that if something in the news cycle perhaps can get in the way of a sponsor message or might be something that a sponsor may not want to associate with, have to be nimble and work. We we work very closely with our colleagues at NPR to make sure that we maintain that agility so that if the news cycle gets in the way, we can pivot and make sure that a uh, a sponsor's message is either delayed or removed or what have you. The other thing that I'll just mention uh, in in that notion of of the news cycle is, you know, because we're an audio media company, 
the, the brands still come to us, even in spite of that whole notion of the news cycle and what that can potentially involve, um, because there aren't visuals associated with it. So mm -hmm. there is a certain element of brand safety, even within, you know, sponsoring news programming, because there aren't, I'll just use the example of the war that that is obviously unfolding as we speak. Uh, there aren't visuals associated with that. So that's kind of a unique thing. But I digress. My, my point in all of that was just being able to be nimble and agile in the, the news media space, I would say, would be number two and also has been a hallmark of my career. And then the third one would be that size doesn't always trump quality. And so people, you know, sometimes get stuck on, oh, I want the biggest audience. I want the, the widest reach the biggest, the biggest, the, the shiniest thing. But there's something to be said for the qualitative aspect of sponsorship, kind of in that spirit of what I was saying about the voice of the consumer and cultural participation. Size does not always trump quality. So if perhaps there's, I'm just going to make this up, a podcast that has a niche audience, but has a strong community, a strong sense of culture and a strong conversation within its audience hmm. if that audience happens to be smaller you might find more success as a sponsor by tapping into that audience or that program versus going for the biggest with the the widest reach so keeping an open mind to this notion of size may be trumped by quality so i would say those are the three things that's awesome and I think uh, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been great. I think our uh, our listeners are are definitely going to resonate with the things you've said. Uh, the cultural participation piece, particularly, I think, is just fantastic for where marketing is going, you know, long term. So, thank you so much again for being on our show today. Thank you, Brian. It really was my pleasure, and uh, I hope folks enjoyed our little talk. Hey, you, yes, you, it's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet, or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks. Thanks.